0: Hello and welcome along once again to It'll Be All Right in the 90s, the podcast that knows full well that football wasn't invented in 1992, like Sky would have you believe. Of course not. It was invented on January the 1st, 1990, when Arsenal beat Crystal Palace 4-1. I'm Stuart Pearce-Joslin and joining me as always is Alex Ferguson-Greenwood. Greenie, how are you this morning?
1: Yeah, I'm good. It feels strange to be doing this in the morning. We normally record in the evenings due to our guest's uh, diary we're doing it in the morning and I th- I feel like it's going to be a good one I, I feel like my brain is far more engaged yeah. than normal although that said we are on the tail end of the record-breaking temperatures of <laughs> of mid-July 2022 so mm-hmm. I'm still suffering a little bit from that um, mentally I think so uh, but apart from that I'm looking forward to the episode how about you how are you
0: yeah, yeah, not too bad. Uh, and it's going to be a great episode today. We're talking to Rob from Premiership Years about the opening weekend of the Premier League, which took place obviously in August 1992. So we're coming up for the, the 30th anniversary of that this year. So we, we thought it best to, to celebrate it in the It'll Be Alright in the 90s way by making a pod episode about it. So, yeah, hopefully it will be great.
1: <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun, lots to talk about. Um, we're going to have to try and squeeze it in. Um, I think so. Let, and one more thing. Go on for three days.
0: <laughs> one more thing before we start happy birthday for the other day mate i hope you had a good day oh thank you you got some uh, really nice 90s themed presents i saw
1: i did yeah i got a copy courtesy of a friend of the pod mole a copy of robert hood prince of thieves the single on um vinyl i can see it because um, it's,
0: it's a fantastic piece it really is yeah in, in lovely.
1: yeah i got a usa 94 sticker from my laptop from my brother dawson's creek uh, t-shirt um, a big bundle of shoot magazines from 1996 people really do know me now I think it's, the word is out I'm into the 90s and I have to say yeah, as oh, well really lovely uh,
0: for the listeners uh, Alex is really suffering for his art this morning we are on the tail end of this heat wave and for the for the recording he's wearing his 92 93 uh, 100% polyester no doubt uh, Norwich City home shirt the famous yeah. bird Boo kit which we referred to in the very first episode of the pod I think as well
1: we did, yeah, in the the the, the kits episode, our favourite kits. Mm. And I think it will probably get a mention later as well. But um, I should imagine so. I actually am going to take it off right now because I'm, <laughs> the, the, the sweat is just... As soon as I put it on, it became uh, uncomfortable. So I'm going to take it off, unfortunately, before our guest arrives. But I'll uh, I'll have it draped over my shoulder or something. Like I've just come off from um, the second leg of Norwich, Bayern Munich in 1990. Uh, 1990- three was that or 94 yeah so i'll just have it draped over my shoulders. yeah
0: soon. everybody appreciates yeah. the effort, effort you've gone to mate
1: yeah right <laughs> i actually am going to take it yeah, all right no this. worries
0: yeah yeah before we go any further this episode of It's will be right in the 90s is sponsored by arrow football boots if you simply quote the code all right 90s at participating branches of Jar sports you can receive 10 percent off of any boot in the ex range that's Arrow. Excitement for your feet. The boot of choice for Ray Wallace, David Burroughs and Steve Bold.
1: Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. I think as been mentioned um, a couple of times before. Um, I, that's what I, what I was handed them down from my brother back in the school PE days. So, yeah, a, a, a big Greenwood products, brands, Arrow. So good to have them connected to the pod finally.
0: Absolutely. My first pair were were Arrow as well. I think I mentioned this. I think they came from a car Mm. boot sale. I'm not too sure, but uh, I definitely had a pair of Arrows in my nascent footballing days. So yeah, very, very glad to have Arrow on board with the pod. Puppers and correspondence and uh, regular listener Alex Mitchell is in touch with some Vianetta chat. You'll be pleased to hear.
1: <laughs> yeah. What's he got to say for himself? Uh,
0: he says Viennetta is a sensational choice for dessert of the 90s. I was amazed to find recently they only cost pound fifty. My mum always used to say they were really expensive so we could only have them on special occasions. That's one of those parent lies that you, you tell. <laughs> it, when you, like, yeah. uh, the ice cream van only runs its chimes when it's run out of ice cream uh <laughs> yeah i guess vionetta could be the one thing that inflation hasn't been touched uh he goes yeah. on to say for some reason school dinner semolina with a dollop of jam came to mind for my 90s dessert not sure why because i've never heard or seen it since thank god
1: set semolina nice. at, uh, for, for school dinner Greeny? yeah well, we i mean i never had hot school dinners but we did have semolina with a dollop of jam in at home so definitely identify with that as a. Uh, a good 90s dessert i've I've thought about doing that like trying to have trying to find some semolina semolina and make it you know at home but i just haven't got around to it and it's but it Ooh. is very old school isn't it it's a proper old school pudding
0: i am not sure if i've ever actually had semolina i'd have to, have to yeah. hold my hands up here it's, it's yet another aspect of 90s culture that i've completely <laughs> missed out on
1: I think it probably more earlier than 90s, it just, it dwelled or lingered into the 90s. It's probably something from like post-war. It, it seems mm-hmm. very sort of, yeah, that kind of, you know, you're low on funds, the economy's crashing, all we've got for dessert is semolina, so <laughs> I'm not that surprised you you didn't have it. I, you, I guess you were having, you were having the vienettas. I've never had a viennetta you've never had semolina. Oh, well, there so. we are then.
0: Okay, okay. so okay. We, we both experienced, uh, we both experienced a, th- a thing that the other one hasn't. Uh, well, there's hmm. something then that we should put on the menu then for our um, post-work play date that we've that we've been planning. Uh, we'll, have <laughs> yeah. the, we'll have semolina for pudding, and then we'll hit the Sega Saturn after that. The other piece of correspondence we've had is from brother of the pod Adam, who has, uh, and it's, it's specifically for me. His partner Vicky wanted me to confirm how the Joslyn theory, which we've spoken about on the podcast before, mm-hmm. uh, relates to David Bowie. Now, interesting. I had a long think about this and, you know, I like to go with my my gut instinct when I when I think about these things on the pod. Um, mm-hmm. But I think I was clear in saying when we brought up the the in theory in the first place, obviously, it, it doesn't apply to every band or artist. And I don't think it applies to David Bowie. I, I, I don't think there is a David Bowie hit that is overplayed or not very good or f- for whatever reason isn't on the same level as the rest of them I don't and there, there are a few bands that this this applies to I think the Rolling Stones are another so yeah I'm, I'm gonna have to say uh, Adam and Vicky that uh, that you might have beaten me there I don't think the Charles in theory does apply to to David Bowie but I don't know if you have any thoughts on this
1: I'm not into Bowie I don't really know much of his of his work other than the other than those big singles so I can't really comment but I think maybe certain artists are. Uh, I sort of combined artist and artiste there into one pronunciation <laughs> of the word. I, don't, I think there are some that maybe transcend the theory just because they're so big. Like, I mean, like the Rolling Stones and Bowie, maybe the Beatles mm-hmm. do as well. I think it'd be hard, you'd be hard to think of the Beatles, the big Beatles song. I mean, when, when these bands have such a big catalogue, you can't pick out like one big single. Like you can with, say, I don't know, the Stereophonics or the Killers or those sort of bands where, they have like one or two huge singles so maybe that maybe Bowie just transcends the, the rule and it's not not a shortcoming of the of the theory itself it's just that it doesn't fit those sort of bands you can't you can't apply it for that reason so I think you should let yourself off I think the theory still it's still strong
0: oh thanks mate well I, I couldn't have explained it better myself so 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 there we go if you have any other artists which you'd like me to test the Jocelyn theory on please do let us know and we'll we'll put them to the test
1: Excellent. I don't have any correspondence, but I do have a couple of updates, personal updates. Well, not personal. There's updates from me. One is just a correction, and it was just I felt a bit embarrassed when I realised because I was listening back whilst editing the uh, the party episode, which was the last episode we did. Uh, I said in that that uh, Gran Turismo One came out in 1996 or maybe 97, but it was actually, I don't know why I said that. It was actually released in 1998 in this country of course it didn't come out in 96 that's i mean i could have got away with saying 97 but 96 was just laughable so i had to correct that and you know how on this pod we are sticklers for precision and accuracy Absolutely. so yeah had to we, we hold our hands
0: um, up when a mistake's been made definitely
1: yeah uh, and then one of our previous i found this on wikipedia about one of our previous uh, recent sponsors great mills uh yeah i found this this excerpt i'm going to read out it says that um Originally known as Clapton Building Supplies, the first store was opened at Powleton, Somerset in 1972 by Tony Blackburn, an unwell Dulux dog and a staff of four. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's all it says, um, which sounds like the best <laughs> opening ceremony I, I've ever heard of.
0: <laughs> I'd have loved so, to, have to, to, to have been there. <laughs> an unwell to have been the Dulux there. dog. Do, do, do we know what what ailment? we, we no. struck 10 by at
1: the time presumably someone left a lid off a, a bottle of uh emulsion or something they got his nose <laughs> in there and you know what well that you know yeah why it's got that job it's a gelux dog it's got um yeah tendency to oh
0: that's get amazing. his snout in there that is brilliant <laughs>
1: um so yeah if you've got any uh opening ceremonies that can beat that then do let us know or if you've got any other great mills memories we, we'd love to know if you can beat jocelyn's uh urinating in the uh the two by four aisle
0: <laughs> i have um, been um finally we should be speaking about this i have been targeted by um some some advertising recently which is advertising to me um frank bruno is making a personal appearance to open some sort of carpet warehouse near swindon uh oh, wow. in, in in the coming weeks and he's going to be signing copies of his new book as well um so it's like carpet monster or carpet i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but You're uh, yeah no, I don't know. It's a bit too. I mean, you know, if if it was in Chippenham or or yeah. you know, so somewhere within a reasonable drive. But uh, no, I, I don't think I'll be going to Swindon.
1: Uh, no, I'm... you're not going to go north of the M4 for uh, for Bruno, are you? Time now for what's the most nineties? Um, we didn't do this last time, so it's good to have the feature back. And in keeping with today's topic, I'm going to ask you, Jocelyn, what the most nineties football song is, not including obvious reasons uh, Three Lions and uh, World in Motion um, mm-hmm. which we just thought were too you know we didn't need to include them because they're, they're, they're too big too obvious um, so what were your thoughts?
0: Well I've gone with the first football song that filtered into my consciousness after Three Lions and I, I also remember the occasion as well Uh, Very well indeed. So it's I've gone for Blue Day by Suggs and the uh, Chelsea 1997 FA Cup final squad. So this was, their, this was their song for the 97 FA Cup Final. When football squads released Cup Final songs, which is something... We, we say this about a lot of things we discussed that were prevalent in the 90s, but this really is something that we miss, I think. the uh, oh. the, the Cup Final song. This is the first FA Cup Final I really remember. I remember the 96... FA Cup Final because that was the one which Man United and Liverpool played in and Liverpool had the green and white quartered kit which I really fancied at the time Um, but the 1997 FA Cup Final is also the first FA Cup Final I watched in a pub because we had a family wedding on the same day and I remember being taken away by, I mean I can't remember who it was now, it it wasn't a member of my family so it must have been, it was one of my my cousins, one of my cousins was getting married so it must have been one of you. It was somebody, it was, you know, I was entrusted to this person's care and they yeah. took me to a nearby pub. And we, we watched the um, the first half, I think, of, of Chelsea Middlesbrough from, from 1997 and obviously memorable for many reasons. Uh, Roberto Di Matteo's goal after 40 odd seconds, 42 seconds, I Ooh. think,
1: which oh, yeah. was the
0: fastest in, in FA Cup final history for about 10 years, I think, until it was overtaken. That's also the season that Middlesbrough got to both domestic cup finals and got relegated. Because of, oh, their, wow, yeah. because of having the three points taken away uh, against when they couldn't fill the fixture against Blackburn, uh, I think they had flu in the squad and they said they couldn't play, and, and the league docked them three points. Three points, which would have kept them up. Oh, um, wow, that's harsh. Yes, yeah. So, so I remember, I remember the Cup Final well. I think it was two nil to Chelsea in the end. And uh, yeah, so, so I've gone with Blue Day just just for that overall overall memory of my first real FA Cup Final. So, so what have you gone for?
1: Hmm. Well, unfortunately. I feel like you might be wrong because (laughs) it's (laughs) true. Okay. This this I mean, maybe this is gonna be a bit cheeky because we were trying to exclude the sort of more obvious ones, but I feel like this has to be it just can't be anything other than Vindaloo because it's the most it might be the most nineties song, let alone the most nineties football song. It's a song written by someone from a Britpop band about football and curry. It's chanted, not sung, it's chanted by a group of lads in football shirts, including Damien Hurst, uh, one of the most 90s artists, uh, and Keith Allen. And yeah, it's about England. And it couldn't be more 90s, I don't think. I know it was World Cup 98 rather than Euro 96, but still, a huge sort of time of revival for the England, like excitement about England playing international football again um and it just felt feels like it has to be that you know you have to put personal feelings aside it's, it's got to be vindaloo has it not
0: it's difficult to argue with that i mean one thing i can say is is that i never owned blue day but i did have vindaloo on cd single
1: so, yeah, so maybe so
0: i think there's the um you know you know there's the proof in the pudding so so yeah i will i i think i'll have to accept being overall in this case so many people involved as you say uh, in the. I think Matt Lucas and David Walliams are in the video Yeah, it's a sort of bittersweet symphony pastiche yeah. aspect, I think
1: um, and when they did it on top of the pops I think Roland Riveron was marching around playing a big drum I and mean, is, is there <laughs> any more 90s TV personality than Roland Riveron I don't know
0: do they do uh, they walk through sort of Albert Square, I think, and yeah. then and then they will come on stage in the in the studio in in Elstree, yeah. presumably. Yeah, I know, I'm, I'm I'm totally wrong. I'm sorry. I mean, I've got no affiliation or, or feelings to Chelsea, uh, as as listeners to the pod will know. Um, either way, so so yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to accept this and say say it's vindaloo all the way. Get it in the ledger, Jeff.
1: Ah, oh, get it in there. I think, as with so often on uh, What's the Most Nineties. You've gone for the more interesting sort of deep dive choice that people might not have heard of, or, or some people will be like, "Oh yeah, God, I remember that." Whereas I've gone for just the plain down the middle, more <laughs> obvious choice. So I think we have a good yin and yang sort of setup with what's the most mm. nice. I think it's it's good that we we have a mix. As it stands, Vienna is still the only one we've agreed on, or the the only one we both came to uh, independently. So so it's nice to be back on four. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had been thinking actually about. Um, we're on the ball by Anton Deck, but it turns out that came out in 2002 I was really surprised by that I thought they yeah. were sort of long beyond the PJ and Duncan nonsense but there you go yeah I wouldn't have chosen that anyway they, they sort crap. of made the transition
0: <laughs> they sort of made the transition from pop stars to TV presenters pretty fully by then I think yeah um, and so, so to have a song released by them was by then a bit of a novelty I mean you're right it's rubbish so
1: <laughs> <laughs> screw you Anton Depp
0: so now, for the post-work play date, it's Vindaloo for mains, followed by Vianetta, is that what I are saying?
1: Yeah, exactly, yeah. With right. uh, a a starter of Semolina with Jam. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> what a night this is going to be. I guess this time is the man behind the very well-regarded Premiership years on Twitter. Today, he's here to help us celebrate the 30th anniversary of the Premier League by taking a look back at its first ever match day, which took place all the way back on Saturday, the 15th of August, 1992. It's a pleasure to welcome to the podcast Rob from Premiership Years. Rob, good morning, mate. How's it
2: going? Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this chat.
0: So in order to start this look back at the uh, first ever Premiership weekend, we're going to start with a look at the classified results read by James Alexander Greenwood.
1: Good afternoon. Arsenal 2. Norwich City 4. Chelsea 1. Oldham Athletic 1. Coventry City 2. Middlesbrough 1. Crystal Palace 3. Blackburn Rovers 3. Everton 1. Sheffield Wednesday 1. Ipswich Town 1. Aston Villa 1. Leeds United 2. Wimbledon 1. Sheffield United 2. Manchester United 1. Southampton 0. Tom Hotspur nil, Nottingham Forest 1, Liverpool nil, Manchester City 1, Queen's Park Rangers 1.
0: There we and go, fantastically that's, read, that's I lot. have to say. I think you might have missed a vocation in life there, mate. <laughs> 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 I suppose we should start by, by having a, a look at some of the standout results from that first weekend. The very first one you read there, Alex, Arsenal 2, Norwich mm. City 4. I mean, as a, as a diehard canary yourself, a massive start to the Premier League for Norwich
1: yeah absolutely huge and that was i mean i guess a sign of what was to come for norwich it was we were not fancied at all well not we weren't we weren't fancied particularly to be you know that high up but um that was a big statement away at arsenal uh, and we were 2-0 down as well looking at the uh, the the goal order like 2-0 down at half time Well, 2-0 down actually going into the 69th minute so incredible comeback and yeah it, it just i guess it gave us a massive confidence boost on the first day that we carried for all the way up to Christmas I think so huge and uh good to see Rule Fox on the the score sheet as well one it was it was in my uh, my cult 11 the uh episode that we did back in the day so good that he he was there
2: yeah big result
0: fantastic um rob who who do you follow I'm, i don't know
2: well it's a very neutral account i want to make that very clear uh, <laughs> but uh, i do follow newcastle united so they're not actually involved So I'm being very neutral now because all my comments are based on Sunderland down there either. So there's no bias. (laughs) Just (laughs) observations made. Yeah, Fox was interesting, wasn't he? Because I think he was probably the cheapest player to get on the back of your shirt in the 90s.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Start going on to the other results. Um, And the next one would be something that means something to both you and me, which is Aston Villa drawing away Ipswich Town. Ipswich obviously being the rivals of Norwich and Villa being your team. Yeah, it looks like you grabbed a late equaliser.
0: Yeah, Dalian Atkinson, six minutes before the end. I I have seen brief highlights of this game. Well, it would be five years ago for the 25th anniversary. I don't don't know if either of you guys caught this at the time, but the BBC actually played the entirety of the first ever Premier League match of the day on the red button. Uh, on on the day the 25th uh-huh. anniversary day and i had a record i recorded it off the tv onto a memory stick and now i can't i haven't been able to find it so i must have deleted it i was really hoping i could go back and and check all this out and i've not been able to find it on youtube or anything so i'm really hoping that uh in a few weeks time as we record this uh, they'll do the same again and allow us the same the same pleasure of, of watching it again but but this was the time when and this happened all the way through the 90s i think match of the day had Sort of two main games where they had extended highlights, and then the rest were just goal roundups. Yeah. I can assure you that Ipswich one, Villa one, was definitely one that was in the goal roundup as opposed to a main uh, a main highlight. Mm. I think it was it was definitely Leeds Leeds two, Wimbledon one was the main game because Leeds of course were the the, the champions, the the yeah. champions of the last season of the first division. And I remember that game for Warren Barton's long range goal, uh, which I think was the equaliser for Wimbledon which was and i've spoken about this before that was the opening goal on the goals 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 vhs that i had from the first season of the premier league that sky sports produced and uh, it was a yeah sort of a from just inside his own half it sort of intended as a a deep cross really but ended up evading john lukic and going in
2: that's barton oh where's lukic he's nowhere he's nowhere And a great deal of embarrassment for John Lukic. White headed it down and it was really into the penalty area that Bart was thinking of. Not into the net, but that's where it dropped. And
0: then the second game was Sheffield United to Manchester United 1, which was and always will be home of the very first Premier League goal, of course. Scored Uh, by
1: Brian Dean?
0: Of course. Everybody knows that. (laughs)
2: <laughs> do you well, know yeah. who scored the second because researching for for the podcast i was looking it up and i i didn't know who scored the second but i now know do you want do you guys know
0: oh no i don't no no absolutely okay go on
2: it was john williams of coventry city the flying postman as he was known
1: <laughs> why well, is
2: postman. he called the flying postman i believe
1: all oh, right <laughs> and he was very I quick hope that's right.
2: And he was quick, yeah. yeah he'd won uh, yeah. quite a famous uh, sprint race at the rumblers Cup. The year was the year before. The year before that, maybe.
0: Yeah, that does the rounds quite a lot, doesn't it? On the, yes. on the sort of pages that we all follow. Um, That's right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then that was—I think it was a debut goal for Coventry after nine minutes, so just beaten by by Brian Dean a few minutes earlier.
0: Other notable results here. I mean, we have Palace three, Blackburn Rovers three, which was Alan Shearer's debut for Blackburn. I think he scored twice. We're moving on to the. The Sunday and the Monday, uh, which which were the first ever Sky live games. So we have Forest one, Liverpool nil, which is and Teddy Sheringham scores the first Premier League goal, which was live on Sky. And then uh, Man City one, Queens Park Rangers one, which was the first ever Monday night football. And was that the first game with the Sky cheerleaders, the short-lived Sky cheerleaders, or was, did that happen on the Sunday as well? I, I don't know.
2: In my research, I could only see the. Um... The Sky Strikers on the Monday night football, and then again the following weekend. So perhaps they just had one gig a weekend, and it was the Monday night <laughs> uh, at uh, Main Road.
1: I have not heard of these these cheerleaders. Or what? What did you say they were called? The Sky The
2: Sky Strikers. Strikers. Yeah. Who were they? I suppose they were cheerleaders without the pom poms. So they just kind of did a like a dance routine in the center circle. I think Sky were this whole new ball game um, malarkey. They were just trying to find ways to Americanize the whole. <clears throat> Uh, brand they were building I think it was the, mainly that they had. I remember the Monday Night Football as well they had uh, parachuters come in with a match ball <laughs> that kind of, those kind of gimmicks were, were all yeah, over yeah. the place from Sky in 92
1: a
0: whole new theme Monday Night Football on Sky Sports these are the Sky Strikers who you'll see plenty of up and down the country over the next few months this the official launch of the sky sports premier league anthem alive and kicking by simple minds i've got a little quiz for you both if if, if you would mm. like oh, i have please. here a list of the 13 foreign players who featured in the opening weekend Only thirteen non-British players.
1: That is incredible. Only thirteen.
0: So what I have is I've got their nationality and the position they played in, and then I've also got their club for an extra clue. Uh, So what I'll do is I'll give you the nationality and position first, and then and then we'll see if you can get them all. How does that sound?
2: Yeah, it sounds like fun.
0: Play along at home. Let us know how you get on. Okay, so first two I think should be fairly simple. French striker. Cantona. Correct, playing for Leeds United at the time, and Danish goalkeeper.
2: Casper's daddy.
0: It has to be, of course. Of course, Swedish Michael. Uh, OK, who, of course, conceded the first ever Premier League goal. Nobody's, nobody can take that away from him.
2: Uh, <laughs>
0: OK, we get a bit more difficult here. Dutch defender. Oof. Ken Moncow. No, afraid not.
2: Mm, I have no idea. Shall I Michael give you the card. club? Yes, please.
0: OK, Manchester City.
2: Oh, Michael Vonk.
0: Michael Vonk, correct. Super. OK, Russian winger.
1: That's got to be Kanchelskis.
0: Kanchelskis, correct. Yes. Norwegian defender.
2: Uh, I can think of a few. Gunnar Håla.
0: Gunnar Håla, correct. Oldham. Oh, this is going brilliantly. Canadian goalkeeper.
2: Craig Forrest.
0: Craig Forrest, correct. Swedish defender.
1: I think this is all up to you, Rob. I'm I'm out. (laughs) michael has gone. I don't want to embarrass
2: you on your own podcast, Alex. I'm sorry. (laughs) No,
1: this is why we get the experts on,
2: so they can... uh, This is
1: it. This is exactly it, yeah.
2: They can get these things. Oh, thank you. What club is he playing for, mate?
0: Uh, Sheffield Wednesday.
2: Oh, Roland Nielsen.
0: Roland Nielsen, correct. Dutch goalkeeper. What club? Wimbledon.
2: Oh, Hans Sagers.
0: Hans Sagers. This is probably the most difficult one on the list, I, I would say. Czech goalkeeper.
2: Is it Jan Stechkal, QPR?
0: (laughs) It is. That's amazing. What a great shout. Oh, that is brilliant. That's brilliant. Danish midfielder.
2: John Jensen.
0: John Jensen. Swedish winger. Limpar. Anders Limpar. Polish winger.
2: This is fun. Um, (laughs) Polish winger. Was Preki at Everton, was he Polish?
0: It's not him, but you've got the right club.
2: Oh, Oh Robert Vorosh. Yeah. Correct. Apologies Polish listeners.
0: <laughs> and finally, uh, Israeli striker.
2: Ronnie Rosenthal.
0: Correct. Uh, responsible of course for still I think the greatest miss of all time against Villa. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. So yeah, that, that that's the the 13 uh, non-British players who, who featured on the opening weekend and it's um I mean it, it's a it's a different world now isn't it 30 years on. Mm. Uh to mm. to think that they were the only they were the only non-British players in
2: there. I imagine it's commonplace these days to get more than thirteen in a matchday squad.
1: I think oh, it is. Absolutely, yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. Think it is. I mean,
1: I think you'd probably have more than thirteen in like League Two, wouldn't you? Now, um, <laughs> League One and League Two.
2: There was a couple Sweet. of clubs as well started the Premier League with no sponsor. I noticed, which I found fairly interesting. You wouldn't get that anymore, I don't think. Yeah, that
1: absolutely. Yeah, so that Wimbledon's one isn't. It? That's right. Yeah. And then, was there another one as well?
2: Sheffield Wednesday.
1: Oh, okay they ended up with one didn't, did they?
2: Sanderson did took over eventually Sanderson, yeah and they had that yeah. for I think most of the 90s. Um, yeah well shall we move on to kits now?
0: Yeah I mean we've obviously already spoken about your Norwich Bird Poo Home Kit and that's come up on, that's come up on the podcast before. What we've never mentioned before is, is the Villa Home Kit which was the with with the famous lace collar um and it, it was only around for one season because then 93 they went to Asics and had the Muller kits for a couple of seasons oh, yeah. Um, but yeah that's um that, that's a kit that I look look back on very fondly
1: yeah really nice uh, that was something I was going to mention that the the, the, the lace up collars which yeah completely gone now looking at them now the, the three teams that've got it is um Villa United and Sheffield United and all of their kits are made by Umbro so yeah, it's it's obviously an Umbro thing this season, but I think this this is such a beautiful array of kits, almost without fault in this season, home and away. As yeah, as you mentioned, the Norwich home kit, I think it's my favourite ever Norwich kit and my mm. first or second favourite ever kit of any team. And the away kit as well also means quite a lot to me. That I bought this in the club shop, it must have been the end of the 94 season because it was on sale, because it was the end of the line. This is obviously back in the day when teams would have the same kit for two seasons, uh, which I know Brentford have started doing again for environmental reasons. But um, back then was the norm. And I bought this away kit, the the white with the purple sleeves. Really quite an unusual kit for us. Um, and I've been trying to find one on eBay in adult size for <laughs> about two years now but they are so expensive as with all of these i think if you look for the originals right. um, i'm determined not to get a remake i want the original which is ridiculous because i am going to have to spend 200 quid more but i think yeah maybe eventually i'll just I'll, I'll realize it's a complete folly and i won't get it but it's top of my list at the moment what stands out to you two in the, the kits department
2: from the opening weekend i kind of picked out the monday night football as the is the one that stood out kit-wise the Man City home shirt with with brother across the front and the uh QPR away was it black and red um, yeah. horizontal stripes yeah yeah I, I think for the uh combination of the two that was the, the fixture the point that uh, stuck out to me but as you say the lace up derby at Bramall Lane Man United away <laughs> they had some great away kits actually in the nineties Man United the blue yeah, one did, from yeah. from this from this weekend was lovely and that <clears throat> excuse me that all black one I think they brought in the following year yeah that's a brilliant not a United fan but it's a lovely kit well I wanted yeah, to mention then...
0: the uh the, the green and yellow halved shirt
2: yeah which, which
1: was kit, yeah. yeah one
0: of the change kits with that that iconic um advert where it's, it's the team photo but they've all got uh like moustaches and things and, right. um, and Alex Ferguson and Brian Kidd are, are sort of dressed up as as Victorian football managers um and that's um yeah that's something that definitely definitely sticks in for
1: me yeah i've always thought that it's sort of surprising that they've never used green and yellow in away kits before really or since i mean have they because that's their original kit isn't it then when they were newton Mm -hmm. is that where that comes from yeah i'm surprised they don't use that more as a color combination for away kits because blue is traditionally their away kit color isn't it generally i suppose Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but yeah that that yellow and green one I think if that was a Norwich kit, that'd probably be in the top three ever Norwich kits, which pains me to say because <laughs> I do not like Man United, but yeah, stunning. Uh,
0: another couple that, that stuck out for me, obviously uh, the Arsenal bruised banana away away strip, which was still in use at that time. I think it had been it'd been in use the previous season, uh, but, mm-hmm. but they used it for the um, for, for this inaugural Premier League season. And also a bit of a curate seg, the Coventry away. Which is the yeah. red with these sort of white paint splatters? Yet another Ribeiro creation, uh, you know, which is uh, just typifies the the kit kit design of the time, I think, in in one in one design just to seals it down.
1: Yeah, so sadly missed Ribero. Um, I noticed that that sort of spatter or sort of splatter effect from the away kit of theirs is the same one we've got on our sleeves on the away kit, so it's obviously part of the sort of Ribeiro library of design (laughs) styles but um I I think both those commentary kits are incredible um Mm -hmm. and yes Super90s and there was I think there was one kit manufacturer that I Admiral that uh, Admiral was making I think Leeds kit at this point but Mm -hmm. um but they've kind of started making kits again now I think they sort of weren't around that much maybe I'm wrong but Never big. Oh, they're making Southampton's kit as well, actually, this first season. But uh I think associated a bit more with with cricket shirts. England cricket shirts were made by one for a long time. But
0: Well, they were huge the rest... football wise in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. They were, course, they were yeah. absolutely huge. I think I think they did Wimbledon as well in this uh, in this season. Um but but it's okay, just certainly yeah. certainly the nineties I think were a um were a down this start of a downward trend for them. <laughs> if I'm right. Um they did Barnsley's kit when they reached the Premier League. In, oh, in 97, wow. 98, I think that might have been their, um, I think that might have been their swan song, so to speak, for, um, f- for top level kits.
1: And, and the sponsors, I, I know Rob, you touched on that with the uh, the lack of sponsor for Wimbledon uh, and Shuffle went at the start of the season. But there's some really nice, quaint sponsors that sort of hark back to a, a, a gentler age before online gambling took over completely. Like, yeah, we got Commodore computers it's so old school classic fm for for qpr which is yeah, yeah. unusual i don't know i mean that that How... is my
0: favorite that is my absolute favorite yeah. classic FM. do you think that Super
1: worked fun. do you think they got an influx of listeners from from the football terraces after that <laughs> i suppose I it was posh so. north london or or west london wherever one QPR thing about is.
0: that about that qpr away which you just mentioned rob was um the Another thing which, which is, is sadly now lacking in modern kits was the fact that they had to have the squat numbers printed on, on their own panel because they wouldn't show up on the kit otherwise. So there's this huge white panel on the back of the shirt with, I with a number that. on them. Um, I did
2: notice that when Sinton scored that goal, he's got a huge white patch, with, white square on his back with 11 on the back, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So, so again, that that's something which I, which I really like as well. But I just, I just wanted to get that in before we moved away from QPR away kits completely. So uh, please carry on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Needless to say, the the kits are all stunning as far as I'm concerned.
0: I have some things here. We all, as as we've already mentioned, we know who scored the first Premier League goal. Everybody does, Brian Dean. We know we know a few of the other firsts, but I have some of the Premier League firsts here, which maybe aren't as famous or haven't been looked into as much, but are are just as worthy of discussion. So I've got here the first ever Premier League yellow card, which is given to Mickey Adams of Southampton on the opening day mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and the first Premier League red card. Anybody know?
2: I don't know. Uh, I,
1: I would just guess Vinnie Jones for, for the odds. <laughs>
0: Uh, it was actually Niall Quinn uh, of Manchester uh. City. Uh, first red card in Premier League history during a 2-0 loss to Middlesbrough on Wednesday the 19th of August. So that, that random midweek fixtures uh, saw the first mm-hmm. ever red card. Mm-hmm. The first ever substitute used in the Premier League was after five minutes of of one of the games. And again, it's good old Manchester United who hold another record. Uh, Mike Phelan came on for Paul Ince after five minutes. Of that game against Sheffield United, so he was the first wow. ever Premier League substitute. The next one I have seen so many times because it formed part of something which I have watched so many times over the years. The first ever Premier League own goal. Now I'm sure you, I'm sure you guys will have seen this, scored by a goalkeeper. It's Mark Crossley, uh,
2: oh.
0: scoring for Blackburn against Forest, who he was playing for uh, in September. So we went a whole month of games without. An own, an own goal being scored before this and it was featured on the first own goals and gaffs tape with Danny Baker um, which, yeah. which I watched ad nauseum when I was when I was young uh, I think if I remember rightly Mark Crossley sort of takes takes a corner very well very very commandingly but then as he falls to the ground just drops the ball rolls over and it and it rolls into the net and, that, and thereby scores the first ever Premier League own goal
1: Both Alex Stepney and Pat Jennings are that rarest of creatures, goalkeepers who have got on the score sheet. Now welcome, with a slight difference, Mark Crosley. Ah, here's a man conducting a self-examination and finding the patient mentally incapable of standing trial. Seen rodeo riders bring down wild cattle with less fussing and fighting. And just when he thinks he's got it, the ball steps up another gear.
0: The last one I've got on this, just briefly, is, and this is something which I think, again, is another sign of the times, uh, the, the times as they were then, which is that the first Premier League managerial sacking took place in February of
2: 1993. I think I know so. this one. Is it Ian Porterfield?
0: It is, for Chelsea.
2: Chelsea, right.
0: Yeah, so that's uh,
2: very much setting a pattern that Chelsea would uh, continue with in <laughs> 2000s.
0: Indeed, but but nowadays, if a team hires a new manager and things aren't working out, I mean, a, a few years ago, I think the most extreme Frank de Boer took over at Crystal Palace and then had three or four games before they sacked him. So for the first uh, sacking to take place when the season has been alive for five or six months, I think is um is something that you would not. You would not see nowadays. Um, so there you go. A few of the, the Premier League firsts, which which maybe aren't aren't discussed as much.
1: That was something I noticed actually about when I was comparing this season to the last season of the 90s was how few ma- management changes there were through the season. There was like four, three or four or something, compared to 99, 2000 when I think it was 13 or 14 or something like that. So wow, yeah, just a sign of a changing changing game.
0: I think we have to mention as well that most of the grounds were uh, under construction at this time, um, obviously due to the due to the Taylor report. And I think, if I'm right in saying, going back to the, the first day result for Norwich away at Arsenal, that was in front of the famous Arsenal mural, which is probably the, the most famous example of what clubs did at that time in order to get round the fact that their, their grounds were under construction but in use at the same time.
2: It was in front of the Arsenal mural, but actually, um, because of the timings of the goals, every one of the goals came at the other end.
1: Of course, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, because two 0 at half time, and then all four goals in the other second half. Yeah, That's
2: right.
1: <laughs> so what is the Arsenal mural? I'm, I'm filming, and I'm I don't know what that is.
0: <laughs> so what they did was um, the the stand behind one of the goals was being developed. So they. Put up these huge sheets of, uh, of plywood, I suppose. I don't know, but they had these boards behind the goal, and mm-hmm. they painted a stand with fans in it on this
1: on this, uh, okay. on this wall nice. to make
0: it look like there were to make it look like there were, there were fans in the in the stand behind. Um, yeah, and uh, and it was in place until until the stand was until the stand was built. So uh, yeah, very very famous
1: the Arsenal mural. Yeah, there's a few grounds this season, aren't there? That um, with the season we're talking about that have gone from uh from the world so highfield road coventry main road obviously well hybrid as well actually i wasn't thinking about hybrid of course but, um, yeah. yeah
2: of course yeah
1: airson park um, for borough and the dell i always remember the dell being on match of the day and hu- half of that stand not being there it would just be in, like waste <laughs> ground or something I don't know if that's because they were knocking it down or building it i don't, because i guess they didn't move to st mary's for quite a while so mm-hmm. <clears throat> probably redevelopment but um yeah, I think of Alan Ball on the touchline and a wasteland on the other side of the pitch. That's, what I think that's the
2: weird, wasn't it? As a, as a young person, like we all were in the 90s, that's one of those things that you just accept, like that's their stadium, but it, it was unlike any other. You'd look at it and think, mm-hmm. why? That's really strange.
1: <clears throat> I'm not sure if it was this season, but seeing Goodison Park, I remember watching highlights of Norwich playing there. It was either this season or the next season, and one of the ends is very different to what it is now. It's kind of almost the lower tier isn't there. It's like a big... It's almost like a solid building. I think it's maybe got a school board up there somewhere and then there's a tier above it. Um, I don't know what was going on there. It just it looks almost like a baseball stadium, just really different, but they must have redeveloped that at some point in the nineties to make it a proper stand, but yeah, just I guess it was before they were maybe just they couldn't get the the punters in or something, so it wasn't worth building them up, but stadiums now it's just get in seats where you where you can, isn't it? The most maximum use of space filling in corners and everything like that so
0: and that's it and yeah. the 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 drawback with that is that you lose the these grounds that have these idiosyncrasies so mm. the the baseball stand at uh at goodison park or the the stand behind the goal at the Dell, which had one row of seats at one end going up to <laughs> a full row of like 30 or 40 seats at the other end as, as, as i seem to recall and you, yeah you just lose these these sort of charming uh you know and, and everything becomes identikit mega domes and this is yet another reason why why nineties football was better. At it. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
2: So <laughs> yeah. say we all.
1: Actually, I've got a quiz question on my own here, which you may both have researched, I'm not sure. But do you know what the lowest attendance was for the for the whole season? This isn't just the first weekend, but the whole season. What was the lowest attendance? Whoever gets closest gets the point. Oh, that's fun. Okay. Oh boy. I think I could be
0: really, really sad here. I don't oh, know. I know it was Wimbledon Everton mm-hmm. is that right
1: it was yeah correct
0: <laughs> I think boy if this is right
1: oh you're gonna I get a bang on aren't you oh. I think
0: it was 3039
1: <laughs> it was exactly 3039 <laughs> <laughs> surely that's a bonus <laughs> Very, point <laughs> yeah bonus point
0: <laughs> Two that's terrible nine. though no don't, don't applaud that that's awful <laughs> I, No, I'm, I am I'm worrying about myself um, uh, well, in
2: this forum you've impressed us so well done
0: oh well no, yeah thank yeah you, thank you very much
1: you've but finally been able to use that knowledge
0: having a team in, in the top level of football that has an attendance of just over three thousand for a for a top level game in the capital city you know it, it wouldn't happen would it
1: no i think it's yeah it, it's it's wild really and yeah like like rob said they didn't have a sponsor either so i don't mm-hmm. know if that's because they couldn't they just literally couldn't attract one or they just couldn't get one that had the right budget but yeah, 3,000 for an attendance for a Premier League is is unheard of. We spoke about
0: uh, radio station sponsoring clubs earlier with Classic FM sponsoring QPR. I think I'm writing saying that the following season, LBC were the shirt oh, sponsors yeah. of, of Wimbledon oh, for, yeah. for a couple of years after that. And then they went, of course, famously, most famously had LNX computers.
1: I've seen that sponsor, but I never connected the dots to the radio show. I just thought it was something else.
0: I think it even uh, had the, like the frequency in, in smaller letters on the on the front of the shirt. It's LBC <laughs> yeah, ninety-seven point three or whatever it was. I'd like to talk about the match of the day if I could. Um, so do. as I said, uh, the BBC were, were very generous in repeating the first Premier League match of the day in full uh, five years ago for the twenty-fifth anniversary, and I'm hoping that they'll do the same again in a few weeks' time so we can appreciate it in all its glory. Um, but there's a lot floating around on YouTube if you, if you want to have a look and. There are a couple of elements of it which I'd like to discuss. So first of all, there was a, a segment called Brookings Brief. Have you, have, you, have you guys seen this in your in your investigations on YouTube? So yeah. uh, essentially, Trevor Brookings travels to a different Premier League ground each week and does an in-depth report on that club. Um, so there's a couple on YouTube. One is on Liverpool playing away at Wimbledon, and I think Liverpool were going through a bit of a rough patch at the time under Graham Souness, and... Trevor Brooking went to report on that, and there's another one which follows a day in the life of the Sheffield United physio, who, yeah. ra- who rather incongruously throughout is wearing a a golf uh, baseball cap which has got Max Fly written on it, which is which is a golfing brand. Um, <laughs> because I don't know what Umbro thought of that. <laughs> so some investigative reporting I think from from a Premier League ground each week on match of the Day would be uh, would be something maybe we could send you know Micah Richards to the Amex or something like that to uh to, get, to go and
1: have a behind the scenes look I was just gonna say that's something that I guess transferred a little bit into football focus hasn't it well football focus was around then I guess wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I remember watching it when I was was young but that sort of stuff is maybe bled into that a bit more but
0: I suppose um, so. I suppose yeah, so. When they go to um,
2: very football focus. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They, they they do it when it's like FA Cup first round day and you've got a team from the, you know, the Northwest Counties League who have made it through to, yeah. the, to the first round and they, they they do an outside broadcast from there, don't they? I suppose so. So it does yeah. live on. You make a good point. It does live on. The other thing is the, the dance music that they used to use in the goal roundups. Uh, again, mm. I, don't, I don't know if you've heard this, but but throughout that first season, they used I'll, I'll drop some in here so that the um, sort of the listeners can enjoy it. But they used a lovely little sort of early 90s dance track in order to bring in here um, bring in the goal roundups at the end of at the end of the program, uh, which were then inevitably uh, presented by Ray Stubbs or Gary Richardson.
2: Well, just before we move on to the Southampton Crystal Palace match, our roundup of goals from other games beginning with Everton at home to Leeds United. Manager Howard Kendall recalled Tony Cotty for only his seventh league game of the season, but made it very clear he wanted perspiration as well as inspiration from the two million pound striker whose contract is up at the end of the season. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of dance music, do you know what was number one on this opening weekend of the Premier League? Oh, oh that's fantastic. Good no, question. no, I don't.
0: But please, please carry on.
2: I'm sure I'm not going to sing it, but I know I'm sure you'll know the song. It was "Rhythm Is a Dancer" by Snap. Uh, ah, That's... Iconic 90s, yeah,
1: dance,
0: 90s dance tune. I was really hoping Excellent. it was going to be eight No Doubt by Jimmy Nail, but I think I think that might have, <laughs> we might have missed it by a couple of weeks. No, great shout,
2: yeah. Well, actually, now you mentioned Jimmy Nail, fun fact that really is pretty inconsequential and boring, but I remember being in the Newcastle club shop once at St James's, and they were selling Jimmy Nail's autobiography, and I had to ask dad, my dad, who that was, like, did he used to play for Newcastle? Why is that in the, <laughs> the club shop at <laughs> the official club shop at the stadium? I thought that was really strange. I still think it's strange. He had no that affiliation. And obviously, I know he's a he's a Geordie, Newcastle fan, but he had no affiliation. Like here's a Geordie bloke off the telly, so I get that in the club shop. That was really I found that bizarre.
0: Left over from a signing, maybe. Like maybe there'll uh, be some. Maybe there'll be some Frank Bruno books left over at Carpet Remnant World in Swindon, <laughs> you know, following his following his signing coming up in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. That made no sense to you, Rob, but we were discussing that just before you came on. Okay. <laughs> Jimmy Nail gets mentioned a lot on this pod, and, and yet we've never we've never actually discussed anything that's directly to do with him. But he's, he, seems no. come, he seems to
1: come he's, up a lot. But. He's a spectre in the background, is in An ever- <laughs> ever-present spectre. I love
2: that. I love that Jimmy Nail gets mentioned a lot on <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> I noticed that in the the three relegated teams that went down that year: Palace, Middlesbrough, and Forest. Um, if it was if the table was only based on away games none of them would have gone down but Leeds would have finished bottom and they were the champions I found that fairly interesting
0: Leeds didn't win a single away game did they I don't think that's
2: right
1: yeah
2: they got seven draws and lost the rest and would have fin- would have finished bottom in the, in the away table with no point with uh, no win sorry seven points quite alarming that the champions to yeah. go a whole season without yeah. winning away
1: yeah
2: it's really really strange
1: I'm
0: not sure what would have precipitated that from, from being, I mean, I suppose it's like when I did my my business studies GCSE and got an A and then got an E at A level. Um,
2: it's, it's exactly so, like that. So,
0: something happens in, in the <laughs> intervening time, which means that, that it all goes wrong. The least would have been in Europe, wouldn't they? Did, was that the season they played Rangers?
2: Yeah, it was. In, yeah. in
0: Europe. So, so perhaps that provided a, a distraction. I'm not sure.
1: We're gonna move on now and talk about the final game week of the nineties, having obviously started with the first one. Um so that is of course part of the ninety-nine two thousand season. And before we get cracking on the conversation, here are the fully classified football results read to you by James Alexander jocelyn
0: Arsenal two, Leeds United nil. Bradford City nil, Everton nil. Leicester City one Newcastle United 2, Liverpool 3, Wimbledon 1, Sunderland 2, Manchester United 2, Watford 3, Southampton 2, West Ham United 1, Derby County 1, Aston Villa 1, Tottenham Hotspur 1, and finally Chelsea 3, Sheffield Wednesday nil. So there's your classified results and the, the first thing to mention is that if you are counting those, And you should have been. You'll notice that there's actually a fixture missing there. There's only nine games. And I can tell you that Middlesbrough versus Coventry was postponed in that game Mm -hmm. week. Now, if we look back at the results from the first day, Ah. you will see that Coventry City beat Middlesbrough 2-1 on the first day of the Premier League season. So how nice would it have been Ah, to have had the same two teams playing on the first and last games of the decade for their respective clubs but uh, yeah, I, I it must have been the weather got in the way I, I can't find any i can't find any confirmation on that but um being as it was the 28th and 29th of december uh, you would imagine you would imagine that's probably the reason
2: i'm so sorry to make an obvious joke but Middlesbrough didn't always turn up for games in the 90s so <laughs>
0: <laughs> one obvious place to start i suppose is bradford city being in the premier league and, and now obviously down there in down there in league two I think they had two seasons. Did they did they make a, a great escape in their first year?
2: That's right. I, yeah. I think
0: they might have beat Liverpool at home um, on the last day to stay up. Is that when Stuart McCall fell off the the car in the car <laughs> park and, and didn't <laughs> no, spill I any of his that, beer?
2: That was the year before when they got promoted in '99, I think. Ah, of course, yeah. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, David Weatherall scored the only goal, <laughs> didn't he, on the last day of the, oh, this season, '99 two thousand. So, of the of the two seasons we're talking about, are they the team?
1: that is now lowest from the furthest from the Premier League? Or would that be Oldham? Uh,
2: Oldham, I don't know where, what league they're in now, Oldham. I think Oldham went down from the Football League, I think, didn't they? Yeah,
0: it is Oldham now because they, yeah, they, they were relegated to the, the National League in the, in, oh, the, wow. in the last couple of months. So, so yeah, Oldham become the first team who have played in both the Premier League and the National League, I believe. Oldham, you know, we should have spoken about this before, but like Bradford, another team that, that stayed up by the skin of their teeth on the first, uh, in their first season with that sort of miraculous 4 3 win at home to Southampton. Uh, I think somebody scored direct from a corner, the Boundary Park pitch was was an absolute, <laughs> was an absolute mud patch uh, as as it usually was. Um, and then they they finally succumbed in, in the next season. Um, there's a pattern there of, of clubs as well, sort of you know, scrapping for um, scrapping for survival and and managing it and not managing it. And, and that sort of thing. We have to look at, this is the first chance we've had to discuss this, Rob, um, we have to look at Leicester 1, Newcastle 2, which was the last game for Newcastle in the 90s. Do you recall anything about that at all? Did you recall anything about the season in general for Newcastle?
2: Uh, I like. I remember liking the shirt. Uh, I've got the shirt upstairs, actually, and it is one of the few originals I have. That game, specifically, I, I don't recall. Um, I think there was a lot of... Newcastle had a lot of players in the late 90s, especially sort of 99-2000 as well, who you th- you? I think people forget were there. I think Kevin Gallagher was up front that season for Newcastle, which mm-hmm. if you don't remember it, I think you kind of think, whoa, I remember him from like, I think he was scoring for Coventry in the first season, which we just spoke about, and then he goes to Blackburn, and it's a quite amazing that he's still getting games. But uh, yeah, he was around. <laughs> Shearer, of course, was, was still around. Um, not, not a lot of great memories. They had a, an influx of weird... Foreign defenders around that time as well. Lauren Chavet came in and went. Alan Goma came in and went. Alessandro Pistoni came in and went. And all I think all of them, possibly excepting Chavez, went on to have long careers in the Premier League, but but not with Newcastle.
0: I know Pistoni played for Everton afterwards, didn't he?
2: Yeah, for ages, I think. Yeah,
0: yeah,
2: yeah. And Goma went to Fulham for quite a long time as well. So I think mm-hmm. there was a lot of an awful lot of ins and outs around that time for Newcastle. <laughs>
0: Well, speaking about Villa, uh, we see that the the one-one draw with Tottenham. Tim Sherwood, future Villa manager, uh, actually put Tottenham ahead with Ian Taylor equalising towards the end of the game.
2: I noticed that the two lads up front for Villa that that day, uh, December '99, were Carboni and Joachim, and such '90s names. So I thought <laughs> I'd throw that out there. I love that.
0: You forget that Carboni played for Villa. He, he scored a real long-range goal for us in the fa we got to the fa cup final this season as well in 2000.
2: oh of course um
0: where we lost to uh lost to chelsea again another chelsea fa cup final appearance and you forget that, that carboni actually had half a season for for villa i'm not sure if he played in the final i don't know um but he certainly helped us get there and yeah joe chim had a had a big run i think uh, i think dion dublin was at the club but, but was injured around this time so yeah this was when villa were actually doing could be relied upon to to perform you know, quite well in, in the league and, and, and cups, but not, I mean, I always say this, they won the league cup in 1996, and this is just before I have started following them properly. And I think they saw me coming and decided not to win anything
1: since. <laughs> <laughs> I see Norwich, uh, so, uh, uh, we're in our wilderness years in 1999 2000. We're just a few years before we, we got back with Nigel Worthington in 2003. So yeah, I would still have been watching match of the day uh, as usual, but struggling to motivate myself to support anyone particularly at this point I think but by all means you two should enjoy your reminiscing about um about your clubs in in 99 well
0: um, you know we've all had our um our wilderness years in the championship since then
2: uh yeah, I don't
0: th- I don't sure. think it took Newcastle as long to return to the Premier League as it took Villa but, but, but we've certainly we've mm. certainly all been there yeah
2: yeah, yeah. Sure I have. I think <laughs> two years for Newcastle two years as champions. Straight back up.
1: Where did Matt? When did wh- where did Newcastle United finish this season in 1990? Is it sort of mid ish Actually, I can look it up.
2: Uh, I think this is finish. the year Bobby Robson returned um, after a terrible, a terrible start, and then we we picked up obviously a lot. And then the following years we would qualify for Champions League football uh, mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there was a couple of a couple of years there with Dalgleish and then Hullett. Where they were just they were going nowhere. They had some terrible players. Um, Alan Shearer got a, a second career big injury around around that time as well. Ninety seven, he missed a large chunk of it, and that's when we had uh, Ian Rush and John Barnes up front, which was horrific.
0: <laughs> was it Bobby Robson's first game in charge where Newcastle beat Sheffield Wednesday eight 0
2: That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, September mm-hmm. October time, I think. It looks like you finished 13th in the end
1: with qualification for the UEFA Cup first round which I don't understand did you win did you win a cup or something did you win the league cup
2: uh, we we got beaten in the FA Cup final in 99 so perhaps they got and you obviously united won the treble so they will have been in the UEFA Cup by default I suppose I was going to quickly ask you what the lowest attendance
1: was of this season of the the 1999-2000 season to see how it Ooh. compares to the 1992-93 yeah. uh, season
0: Would it be a team like Bradford or Watford possibly playing at home who maybe have a smaller ground at this point?
1: Funnily enough, it was Wimbledon again. At Wimbledon versus Coventry City, whoever's closest gets the point.
0: Well, I think it would have moved on from the bad old years of 3,000. I will say 7,400, something
2: like that. I think higher than that. I'll say 11,000. Rob, very,
1: very good. It's 11,717. So fun. things are picking up a little bit at Wimbledon. Obviously, they don't know what's around the corner there. At this to point, say, yeah. Well
2: done. Another point to Rob. <laughs> Do you know who scored the last goal of the 90s in the Premier League? Ooh. Oh, that's a good question.
0: I mean, I, I know that Ian Taylor scored Villa's goal in the 75th minute against Tottenham. Uh, it's just a, a case of whether any of Chelsea's three goals against Sheffield Wednesday were, were scored any later than that. As as I know that he definitely scored, I'll say he and Taylor.
1: I have no idea. So
2: it was uh, Jody Morris who scored for Chelsea in the 83rd minute of their three nil win over Sheffield Wednesday. Wow! Well done, Jody, Jody Morris. <laughs> uh,
1: and also, actually, I'll ask you which two managers were still managing in the league from the ninety two ninety three season. In this 99 2000. Oh. Well, Fer- Ferguson. Yeah. Joking here
2: No. No.
1: Well,
2: that's a good guess.
0: Hmm. Um, yeah, good guess. I'm assuming this manager has changed clubs.
1: He has, yeah. He has, okay.
2: Was George so, Graham oh. still around then? Correct, George Graham.
1: And sorry, Stu, you're absolutely right. Joking here was still there. Um, well done, you both, both got Bro. the other two answers there. So any final
0: thoughts then on the first and last Premier League match days of the 90s? And, and possibly, you know, we've discussed how much that things have changed between 1992 and now, 30 years later. But but how much have things changed between 1992 and 1999
2: even? Well, I think the main takeaway I've got from this discussion is uh, the foreign influx. Just how many, as you highlighted, Stu, just how few there were on day one to the last, uh, the last weekday of the... Match day, I should say, of the of the 90s, as we touched on, it's it's still going on now. There's there's so many foreign players from all over the world. And I think Sky tried to push that. I think when they kicked it off, and certainly through the 90s, it's the game watched around the world, and it's the most watched league and um, the most cosmopolitan league. And I, they're probably probably right. We were the clubs were scouting from all over the world, possibly using Championship Manager as a base, uh, like I was. <laughs> um, I think that's the main, not necessarily looking for differences, but that, that's what I take away from, and uh, probably the uh, the improvement in the slickness of the production of Sky, I think, by the late 90s and then the 2000s. It wasn't too long before it started complicating things with uh, player cam and, and all the fan zone came in, I think, not too long after ninety nine, 2000.
0: For me, uh, I would just like to see a return to uh, a 10 to 3,000 laces used in collars on kits and uh, Brookings brief. That's what I would like to see return. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah. and and that's, that's all I have to say on the matter.
2: And more flying postman, please.
0: Oh, absolutely. And yeah, the, the, the sprint challenge. You'll get, we'll get uh, yeah. the, the fastest player from, from each team and uh, do yeah. some re- regional knockouts and then have a final. Yeah, we <laughs> the, the podcast can sponsor it. We'll bring it back. Surely yeah. they'll get on board with that.
1: Well, I want more Power Tool and uh, Lumber Yards on sports sponsorship, football we'll kit sponsorship. Um, I want more grounds that are half built, more waste grounds, you know, off to one side of the pitch. And uh, I want lower attendances. That's what I want. Let's go back to that.
2: The more but people look agree. like Alan Cork.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. More, more people who don't look like they should be playing the game. all with a huge beard, yeah. But I think we're all in agreement, aren't we, that it was better back in the day, as we so often are on this podcast.
0: What a perfect place to end things there. Rob, thank you so much for joining us to take this trip down Premier League memory lane. Um, just before we go, can you just tell us a bit more about your your Twitter page, where we can find it and, and how people can generally get involved?
2: Thank you for having me. Yeah, I've loved it. Uh, the Twitter page is called Pre- The Premiership Years, and that's at Premiership Years, Y-R-S. And uh, on there I just post uh, old pictures, rare pictures I hope, uh, little facts, little did you know this about the about 90s football and we t- stay within time timescale of uh, the Premier League when it was called the Premiership, so 1993 to 2007, so nothing before, nothing after um, and yeah, get involved, follow us, we put new things on every day, if you're into the 90s, if you enjoy this podcast, if you enjoy football from that uh, period when you were growing up, just follow us and enjoy and get involved.
0: Fantastic. Thank you very much. And one final question before we let you go. We do like to ask all of our guests who come onto the pod, what thing from the 90s would you most like to bring back?
2: Great question. Here's my well-prepared answer. Uh, I think it would be the delight I had when I opened a packet of stickers. The the young fascination I had and, and the, the joy when you open and see all the different names and colours and faces from... From the mid '90s, that feeling of of not knowing who you're going to get and the excitement, anticipation of of who you've got in the packet that your mum's just bought you for 25p, uh, it's an innocent thing, and I don't think I'll ever feel that way again. That's quite a sombre. No. Sorry about that.
0: No, 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 that, an absolutely <laughs> superb answer. I still remember very well finally getting the Mark Bosnich in the uh, <laughs> from from Chaplin's in the, in Caution. Uh, for the PFA Panini's PFA sticker album from '97, so uh, so I, I know I know the feeling well. I'm sure Alex does too. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. Rob, thanks so much again for joining us. It's been a, a pleasure to have you on the podcast, and uh, I'm sure we'll have you back sometime.
2: I really hope so. I loved it. Let's do it again. Well,
1: that was uh, a lot of fun, and uh, some some very niche uh, <laughs> elements came up there, and some fantastic football match. Uh, Attendance knowledge from you there, Stuart. Walton, I don't, I don't I know how
0: that is stuck in there, I don't know why it's stuck in there, but, but it's there and it will probably never leave. Um, as I've said many times on this pod, um, I don't have much chance of ever making much of my life, but but I will remember the record low attendance <laughs> for uh, so so maybe there's something something in that. But no, many thanks to Rob for coming on and, and sharing his expertise and knowledge with us. And uh, yeah, as we said, next time there's something to be spoken about with regards to. The premiership. Uh, mm. I'm sure he will make a return appearance.
1: Yeah, yeah. Please do give him a follow on, on Twitter. We'll uh, we'll link to his account in the the details below as usual so mm-hmm. you can find him there. Uh, speaking of which, if you want to contact us about anything uh, about this episode or any other episodes or what's the most nineties, then please do so in the usual places. Twitter at allright nineties, email allright nineties at gmail.com and facebook.com forward slash all right 90s that's all letters no numbers in there and on instagram we are allright.90s.podcast. 90s so please do get in touch and next time we think we're going to be talking about the films of 1991 uh, the next part of our yearly look at the films from the decade so um yeah i think there's some good names in there um, for sure,
0: for sure. So please, please do get in touch in advance with your uh, favourite films of 1991. Any memories you have, uh, and uh, we'll be sure to read them out. So uh, yeah, we, we obviously do appreciate all of your correspondence. Uh, so yeah, please do get in touch with anything on well on any subject, but particularly uh, your memories of films of 91.
1: Until then, please remember to uh, stay out of the sun during this uh, incredible heat wave which will probably be long gone by the time this episode comes out and it will probably be <laughs> tipping down rain but yeah until then uh, take care of yourselves and we'll see you next time so goodbye from me
0: it's goodbye from me I'm just off to see if I can find a classic FM QPR
1: shirt <laughs> I hope you've got some money saved up those 90s <laughs> shirts let me tell you
0: And uh, the cat has just made an appearance and I want to just shut the door and keep him in. So can we can we have a quick two minutes while I do that? Is that OK? And then we'll get on to yeah. the nineteen ninety
2: nine. No yeah, problem.
0: Yeah. Bear with me a sec. I'll be I'll be two seconds. Right, well Here he is. Say hello
1: to the nice people. I've been introduced to that cat a couple of times over over Skype. Okay. We'll have the one as a guest sooner or later, I think.